You are listening to Rooted, a leadership lecture series presented by Yale Faith in Action. Yale Faith in Action is an undergraduate organization at Yale University that focuses on Christian leadership development, equipping emerging leaders with the tools they need to make a transformative impact in their future spheres of influence by seeking God and the good of others. How is everybody? Good? Okay. Well, um, I wanted to talk tonight a little bit about motivation, um, about what motivates us. Uh, If you're in a Bible course, which I hope that you are, um, we're covering Romans, and uh, the first words of Romans are from Paul, and he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And this kind of language, being a servant of Christ or a servant of God, is all throughout the Bible, um, so much so that we probably don't think much about it when we read phrases like that. So you probably don't think much about what is it to be a servant and what is actually Paul inferring by this phrase. And I think what he's inferring primarily is not that he's being coerced by God into doing things, uh, uh, but that Jesus Christ is the main motivating force for everything that he does. Um, So he uses other language in other places. Uh, In the letter to the Corinthians, he says, the love of Christ compels me. It, It drives me as a force. So... As we got started, I just wanted you to think. Now, this is going to take some introspection, okay? So you're going to have to think about yourself. Um, What drives you? So when you get up in the morning and you face the day and you go to class or uh, whatever you're going to do for the day, what is driving you to do the things that you do? And is Jesus Christ at all in that picture? So I've been at Yale a little over two years, and I've gotten to know a lot of people in this room and a lot of other Yaleys that I've talked to over dinners and ice cream and all kinds of fun things. Um, And the two things that stand out to me most as driving forces that I've seen in the typical person in the life of Yale is, uh, is these two forces, which is pride and anxiety. Um, And the two forces can be at work even in the same person sometimes. Um, But a lot of times it's it's either one of these or both of these. That's the primary driver for the things that you do. So when you get up up in the morning and you are deciding uh, how fast I need to get ready and am I going to study or read or am I going to go, you know, do I need to go to class right now? Uh, What are the motivational forces? What's the primary force that says this is what I'm going to do? Um, because fundamentally, that's what it means to be a Christian. We have died to everything else, and we pursue Christ. Um, now, that's something that we can say without ever really giving thought to what we're doing. So I want to go through these two things really kind of quickly, um, and then we're going to look at a passage that unifies these two, pride and anxiety, um, that I think has always been really helpful for me. So first, let's talk about pride. Um, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis, if you've read Mere Christianity. Um, he describes pride as, uh, there's no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Um, So pride is a very manipulative force. 
How many of you have known people that you think are very egotistical? Okay. How many of you are drawn to hang out with those people? Yeah, uh, not many. Um, how many of you think of yourself as very egotistical? A couple of you. Um, one of the things that C.S. Lewis says in this section is that it's only Christians that even try to recognize this in themselves. Um, and so I would bet that the few people that raise their hands, it's the work of God in your life that gets you to kind of see where that pride is. Um, but yeah, we don't recognize this in ourselves. And in general, we think ambition is almost always a good thing. To be ambitious is a good thing. Most likely you think of ambition as a positive force in your life. Um, but the Bible speaks of ambition as almost always being wrongly placed as selfish ambition. There is a type of ambition that's rightly placed, uh, which is sometimes called a holy ambition, but that's directed towards the death of self and the following of Jesus Christ and being motivated and compelled by his love. So let me just talk a few things about pride. Um, the first, pride is self-satisfaction and self-reliance. Um, in other words, it's, it's believing that satisfaction is fundamentally depending on what I do and how successful I am in my goals and my aspirations. I'll be satisfied if that happens. That's selfish ambition. That's pride uh, as, as it's defined as a vice in Scripture. Also, it's self-reliance. Um, self-reliance means I don't fundamentally depend on anything else for my success other than my own effort. Um, this verse is, is a powerful one in Hosea that says, I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied, and being satisfied, their heart became proud, and therefore they forgot me. So one of, the, uh, one of the main things that Scripture says births pride in our life is the blessings of God. So the things that you've gotten from God that you're proud of, um, you don't receive as gifts anymore, but you receive as from your own hands. Uh, you may remember in Deuteronomy when they're about to enter the promised land, God gives them a warning that says, you're going to go there and you're going to live in houses that you didn't build and you're going to drink from cisterns that you didn't dig and before long, you're going to forget me and think of how, what a great life you've earned for yourself, even though God gave them all those things. Um, so that's the fundamental nature of pride. It turns from seeing everything as a gift from God to seeing everything as dependent on my own self-effort. Uh, next, pride is independent and insubordinate. Um, so independence means uh, I'm uncomfortable relying on anyone else or anything else for my success. I want it... I want it to be completely within my grasp. That's a very anti-Christian point of view, but it's a very American kind of Western point of view that independence is a good thing. Um, but if anything, it means to be a Christian, and, and what faith means is it's a posture of absolute dependence on God. And then insubordinate, how you respond to authority in your life is a really good indicator to how prideful you are. If you are critical or disrespectful of authority, if you don't invite it into your life, if people have to kind of force their way into your life, or if you willingly and openly seek out good authority in your life in order to guide you. Okay, next. Pride desires to exalt the self. Um, so how much your joy is in proportional 
to the amount that other people recognize you for the things that you're doing is an indicator of how much pride is a driving force. So, for example, if you were to get a great grade on a paper and no one else knew about it, and so you were unhappy until somebody else knew, hey, I got the best grade in the class, that's a good indicator of pride. You're not actually receiving this as a gift from God. You're receiving it as a way of exalting yourself. Now, the irony is, is, is in the Bible, a lot of times the, the, the prideful people that were shown, like Nebuchadnezzar, don't only exalt in self, but they exalt in self exactly for the very things that God does. So they take credit for what he's done, um, which makes them even more repulsive to everybody but themselves. Next. Pride opposes the very existence of God. One of the, one of the uh, uh, Psalms says, the haughty uh, say to themselves, there is no God. Um, fundamentally, belief in God is belief that we're a derivative creature, that our existence is contingent on the existence of someone else who's given it to us. And so to, to walk around as if your life is your own and my destiny is what I'm going to make of it is to act as if God doesn't exist. Now, pride can look so different in lives, and we're very good at masking it, right? So none of us are trying to be like evil dictators and take over the world which is kind of what we have a tendency to characterize pride as. Pride is just saying, I care more about my own satisfaction and comfort than I do about what God says is right and God says is glorifying. I care more about serving myself than I do about loving and serving my neighbor. That's pride. It's very subtle, it's very common, and it can very easily be the primary motivator in your life that everything I do, I don't ever think about it. In other words, I'm not getting up saying, I want myself to be exalted today. What can I do to exalt myself? Um, but fundamentally, the reasons I do, everything I did that day was in the hopes that I'm going to be, I'm going to rise to the top. Somebody's going to say, wow, you're really smart or you're really great um, or one of these other things or I'm going to fulfill myself and satisfy myself instead of waiting upon the Lord to satisfy me. Okay, next. Now, this is the interesting one, and we're going to see this in the passage we look at. Pride actually produces anxiety about the future. So the reason this is counterintuitive is pride sometimes comes across as a position of strength, that a person who's proud is very self-confident and assured. But anxiety comes across a lot of times as a position of weakness, um, where you're afraid and you're, you're uh, timid about what the future holds. And yet, these two things are very interrelated, and we're going to see how that is in the passage. But let's, let's go to the next one. So how do these two relate? How does it produce anxiety? Well, when you have a self-reliant and self-satisfying heart, an uncertain future, a future that you don't know what's going to happen, really has two possible, uh, there's two possible ways to respond to that. Number one is you can have this kind of foolish self-confidence that lives under this illusion that you're in control and your self-effort will produce lasting satisfaction. There are people that are literally that deluded in the world that they're one of six and a half billion people in a cosmos that makes us look like a grain of sand and they believe they control their own destiny. They, they live that way. And they're in massive denial at how out of control they are 
And also, they're in massive denial that the things that they're shooting for won't actually satisfy. Um, books like Ecclesiastes, where, where Solomon was uh, gracious enough to recount to us the meaninglessness of all these pursuits that we chase after. To them, that's, that's not even in their radar. And so that, that is a response you can take. You can take this kind of foolish, blind eye and act as if the world revolves around you and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the best. And a lot of these people end up suicidal um, by the end of their life, even if they achieve what they were setting out to achieve because it doesn't have any lasting success. But the more common response to an uncertain future is this life of unrelenting anxiety of a future that will be ruined by my weakness at any point. And I think this is what marks, unfortunately, a life of a lot of us that are overachievers, is that I live in this constant state of anxiety. Now, maybe not every moment, because maybe the last week there hasn't been too many moments where I feel the weight of all the things that are on me. But for most of us, pretty much every day, I'm living in this constant anxiety that the shoe's going to drop and my weakness, my inability to control the future is going to catch up with me and I'm going to fail. That's pride. That's pride because that's the person who relies on themselves to, to produce a future that will satisfy them. Okay, next one. So this is the passage to me that really lays this out. Um, it's a very well-known passage, but you may have never seen this link before between pride and anxiety. So in 1 Peter 5, um, Peter has just gotten done talking to the elders of the church, telling them that they should um, lead with compassion and understanding. And then he turns to the younger people, the people who are under uh, the authority of the elders, and he says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourself, all of you, elders included, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. So, the first thing is humble yourself, this command to humble yourself. How on earth do you do that? How, as a Yaley, do you wake up in the morning and get everything done you have on earth without being super ambitious? You care more about God exalting you than you care about you being exalted in front of other people. That's how. Your, your heart has to care more that God looks down and smiles on you today then people around me think I'm cool or fun or funny or successful or the big man on campus. You have to care so much more about that. And the only way that I know that you'll care more about what God thinks of you is to know the depth of how much more He already loves you. That this is someone who would not spare His own Son but give Him up for you just to be near you, just to be with you. And so I care so much more that he's happy with me than I do about these other things. That allows me to humble myself because he's promised to exalt me. The next thing is casting your cares upon him. Now, some Bible translations divide this into two sentences. Humble yourself, 
so that, and then Christ, so that God will exalt you, and then cast your cares. But, but the original language, this is, a, this is a participle. So what that means is this is a subordinate clause to humble yourself. So humbling yourself is casting your anxieties upon God. This is really hard. How do we do that? How do we, I mean, you can talk about it and you can say it. It's a nice catchphrase for a bumper sticker, you know, cast your anxieties on God. But, but how do I take all of this stress and, and fear and insecurity about what's going to happen in this test and in this dating relationship and in, among my sweetmates who we just fought last night, how do I take all of that and put it on God? Seriously, how do I do that? That's really important. Well, there's two things I want you to see. One is he doesn't say, humble yourselves and cast your anxieties on God. He says, humble yourself and, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. It's not a bad thing to want your life to be meaningful and purposeful and good and useful. It's a bad thing to take God's, take away God's power to do that in your life and try to earn it for yourself. So it takes great faith in that promise. He will exalt you. The other one's followed by a promise too. Cast your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So we do this through prayer, through much prayer. How many anxieties do you have? How many uncertainties about the future weigh on your life? A lot. How many of them have you prayed about today, this week, this year? You know, the, uh, Barna says that the average Christian in America, this, this is shocking to me, spends one to three minutes a day in prayer. The average pastor spends five to seven minutes a day. You know, in the first century, uh, when the Christian church was just being born, the average Christian spent between one and a half and three hours a day in prayer. The average Christian, not the monks. Uh, the average person. Martin Luther, by the time he was late in his life, was spending six, seven hours a day in prayer. We don't understand that there is this process of casting that we have to engage in to take time. So the other thing I want to say, though, is that process of casting our cares on Him in prayer is not just voicing our anxieties to God. It's also laying hold of the promises of God. Right? Laying hold of these that, here's my anxieties, here's all the things I'm worried about, and being comforted so much by what God has promised to do. Uh, go ahead and go to the next one. So, before I go through these... Do you know the promises of God? Are they a comfort to you? He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I will never leave you or forsake you. For those who love the Lord, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. God over and over and over in the Bible is extending these guarantees that he backs up with his very character 
that if you will pursue me, I will answer. I will do it. But I'm afraid that most of us as Christians pray so short and so little that we, ne- we don't even have time to lay hold of those promises and let them come in and let the Holy Spirit actually give us peace. So these are five things I just want you to remember of what does it look like to cast your anxieties on God. First, submit yourself to godly counselors and leaders. That's where that passage started. Young people, submit yourself to elders. Don't do this on your own. Don't try to be a Yale on your own. Uh, you will be driven by selfish ambition or anxiety, most of you. Submit yourself to people who have learned that road doesn't work, who will speak truth into your lives, who will constantly kind of bring you back to reality. Pursue satisfaction in a restored relationship with Christ. If you're constantly hungry, if you're constantly longing for something, you will pursue anything. And so you have to learn, and it's a discipline to learn this, at how prayer and Bible study and fasting and all these other things work together to produce a satisfied heart. A heart that's not clamoring for something outside of God or in addition to God. Respond to every good thing in your life, not with pride, not with looking for who saw that and will commend me for it, but with thanksgiving. Recognizing that it's from God. Every good gift comes from Him. Release every anxiety and fear to God and lay hold of His promises. So another passage that just says this beautifully, a lot of you know, is in Philippians 4. that says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving for all the good things. Let your requests be known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding. He's not saying you're going to figure out how the future is going to work out. He's saying, I'll give you peace despite your lack of knowledge. We'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So I don't know, a lot of you, I don't know, have any idea what your prayer life looked like before you came to Yale. I do know this is a time-starved environment. (laughs) You have a thousand options to do with every minute that you're awake. And so it's going to be a real challenge to devote serious time to prayer. And you have no hope of being a servant of Christ Jesus without serious time in prayer. So that's what we're going to do. That's why he said it's a short devotional instead of a lecture. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to break into groups and pray. Now, some of you may not be comfortable with that. If not, pray on your own. But what we're, what we're doing in this prayer time is we're casting our anxieties upon God. And we want to do it together because there's strength in the community of God. There's strength in us doing this together. Most of you are experiencing the same anxieties as other people in the room. And so we can pray for each other and with each other. So we're going to break into groups of three to five, two, whatever you're comfortable with. And if you want to pray by yourself, that's fine. If you want to come pray with one of the ministry fellows, there's something that's burdening you, uh, we're here. But we're going to spend about 15 or 20 minutes casting our cares upon God and reminding ourselves of the promises of, of God to us. So let's do it. Let's break into groups.